We have been taking a journey through the biblical narrative this year for the past year now. And we've come to the section of the Hebrew scriptures that is the books of poetry and wisdom. And we've gone through them almost entirely. And today we, are, we started last week a conversation about the book of Job. Now, Job is the last of these books that we're going to study before we get back to our history and our adventures soon. Job has 42 chapters in it. And last week, we covered the first two chapters of Job. And I told you then that I plan to cover the the next 40 chapters today and complete Job in two weeks. Well, then I tried the sermon a few times and I realized we'd be here way too long if I did that. So we're going to do Job in three weeks instead so that we won't be here until all afternoon. So we need another week. And I'm kind of glad I did it because, honestly, there was too many great truths to point out in the end that would have muddied the waters by having too many different directions we were going. Next week will be a little shorter, which is good because it's the theater play next weekend and we want to you know, have a little more time. So I'm going I'm to divide it into a third part and we'll finish it next week. Now, if you've been around the Bible or church or the Bible stories in your life, you probably have heard Job before. And if you have, the, the first part of Job... The first two chapters that we studied last week, those are the most famous of the story of Job. If everyone knows the story of Job, they know the part we talked about last week. And then the part we'll get to next week is the second most famous part of the story of Job. It's the conclusion. And it's pretty interesting, too. In fact, I want to make a quick commercial plug for it. You don't want to miss it because it has a couple twists and turns there. And when it ends, it's going to give you and I a, perhaps a, a roadmap or a, a pathway to find ourselves out of a deep place of grief and loss. It's a, it's a, there's a beautiful lesson in there that I think will help you when you need it most. And so we'll do that next week. But um, we, we know the, the beginning of Job very well, the, the sufferings of Job. You know, why do bad things happen to good people type deal. We know the end of Job, perhaps. But very few people know as much about the middle of Job. Because the middle of Job is a back-and-forth dialogue between Job and his friends where they debate the justice of God and suffering in the world. And the debate is just so long that people kind of glaze over it or don't pay much attention to it. And we're going to pay attention to it today. Now, there's a lot of different directions we can go in this middle section. Maybe not the most interesting section of Job to most of us, but it's got some stuff that we want to pull out of there. There's a lot of directions we can go. One of the things that we're not going to do today is look at the very many times that Job talks about God in the the sense that almost seems like he's preaching a Christian message. He says at one point that he knows, by the way, you should write this one down if you want to study it. Job 19, 25 through 27. Job says something so remarkable considering he was alive way before Jesus Christ showed up. But he says something that we could say today. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and basically talks about how he's alive, he's our savior, redeemer who dies, he, he lives again. He's going to come and stand on the earth at the last. And then when our bodies die, we're resurrected into a new glorified body that we'll be in God's presence and see him face to face someday. It's so remarkable and so out of the pocket of the conversation that it just deserves a whole Sunday to itself. We're going to skip a lot of passages like that that are worth looking at to make one point today that needs to be made. And the point we're going to make is we're going to watch what happens in the relationship between Job and his friends. We saw at the end of chapter 2 last week, in Job 2, verse 11, that when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, let me just pause and remind you of the tragedy. Job was a man of extreme privilege, of extreme blessing. He He was more blessed singly than anybody else around him. He had lived a very good life. But then he suffered tremendously and extremely, more than most people ever suffer in a very short period of time. He knew the very highs of life and the very lows of life. And he lost everything. His wealth was taken from him one chunk at a time in a short period of time. His children in the same time frame all were killed in a tragic accident. And then later on his health failed him and he was barely, he was scraping boils off of his body with a piece of broken pottery. Job's life has fallen apart to the extreme. And at some point after that, while he's suffering, it says when three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy that he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and to console him. 
Their names were Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite. This guy is the very short because he's the Shuhite. You're welcome. You're welcome. I'm, I'm here all day. Okay. Anyhow, uh, Bildad, the Shuhite, and then uh, Zophar, the Namathite. These three friends of Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and they threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. We saw that last week, and it sets the stage to our conversation today. And I want you to see this. And I'm going to tell you, was because it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to deteriorate from here. Job's friends are going to end up in a very bad place. And this, before the story's over, it'll be easy to vilify, for good reason, Job's friends. But before we get there, you need to see that they showed up. They were there to support him through his worst times. They were there to help him and be there and spend a whole week saying nothing but sitting with him and grieving with him. So give his friends some credit here. And we need to see that because we need to see how it happens that good people and good friends deteriorate into a terrible state of pain and chaos between them. Now, I'm just going to tell you before we start how this is going to go. <laughs> this section is not the most interesting reading for most people, but we're going to get into it. It's going to be like a train wreck. I, I, the best comparison I can make to what we're about to do for the next while today, the best comparison I can give you is today's sermon will be like going on social media like getting on Facebook or uh, TikTok or YouTube or something and getting into a debate in the comments section that you start reading about. And in the debate, it starts off fairly civilly, but it, it deteriorates to insults and, and cruel things and yelling and screaming the worst possible stuff back and forth. And you read it and you're like, holy cow. As you read it, you're like, holy cow. I, I want to look away, but I can't, you know? <laughs> Is that terrible? Um, that's the story of, of the next many chapters of Job. And I'm just, we're going to go through it together. It's going to be one of the weirdest sermons I've ever preached, probably. I don't know. But buckle up, because we've got to cover it to study this book. And I want you to see what happens. And I want you to identify with Job's friends, because here's what you and I tend to do as human beings. We identify with the protagonist of every story. To us, it's always clear-cut. It's black and white. It's good and bad. We see the good guys, the, it's like old stories. There's the good guys, they're always good, the bad guys are bad. And we identify ourselves in stories with the good guys. And when people read the book of Job, we don't identify with Job's friends. We identify with Job. I've heard it so many times through my life. People say, oh, I'm just so much like Job, you know, okay. But we don't identify with Job's friends because Job's friends are like the other people. They're like our ops, you know, that's who they are. We don't identify with them. So what I want you to understand is that Job... His friends are more like you and me than we want to admit. And I want you to see that today, but it's going to be hard for us to see. You're going to push back against that and say, oh, no, no, I'm not like that. I'm never like that. But you know what's crazy? Is Job's friends didn't think that they were like that. Job's friends were God-fearing good people who believed they were good, doing good things, and they would have a hard time accepting the judgment we would give them as they were saying what they say here. And you and I would say the same thing. I'm not like that. But I wonder how many times we treat people a certain way and we don't see it in ourselves. So I'm going to ask you to do something very hard today. Don't identify with Job. See how we could end up, and we have ended up, almost all of us at times, have ended up being more like Job's friends than we want to ever admit. So this, this train wreck of a conversation, this weird sermon, let's get into it. It's at Job chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, At last Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, Let the day of my birth be erased, and the night that I was conceived. Job is not sounding so magnanimous anymore. Last week, Job sounded like so saintly in his suffering that we have a hard time relating to him. Job's like, oh, God is good all the time. Praise the name of the Lord. And we're like, really? How do you say that, Job? Well, today, Job sounds more like me, you know. Curse the day I was born. And, and I want you to see that as we get started because I want to remind us all that grief comes at us at different patterns. And we all grieve differently. Some people, when they go through grief and hardship, they grieve deeply, quickly. And other people, sometimes, they don't grieve for a while before it hits them. 
And some people grieve the stages in deep succession. Other people go through the stages of grief in a different order. Some people go through each stage very quickly and start over and do them all again repeatedly over and over. But, But here's what I'm trying to say. Give yourself a break when you're grieving. Don't make it harder on yourself by, ask, by, by saying, am I grieving a, the right way? Is something wrong with me? Don't psychoanalyze yourself. I see people do it all the time. Man, I'm so upset. Why am I so upset? What's wrong with me? Or I'm not very upset at all. I should be upset. Why am I not upset? I'm okay. What's wrong with me? Well, hold on now. It might come later. You're going to make it harder to go through grief when you expect it to go a certain way. I know people who've been alive long enough to grieve multiple times and think they know their pattern only to be surprised the next time by how they grieve. Give yourself a break. But also, give others a break. Come on now, give others a break. Don't go to somebody else and say, hey, why are you taking this so hard? You need to trust God, brother. Or don't go to somebody else and say to them, hey, you seem okay. Are you, you shouldn't be this okay. What's wrong with you? Just let people, just be like Job's friends were at the beginning. Support them. Job is now grieving. A long time has passed from the beginning where he was like, God is faithful, God is good, praise the Lord. To now he's, he was quiet. Sometime after his kids died, his health failed. Sometime after his health failed, his friends showed up. A week after they showed up, so a long time later, Job has been silent. And finally Job stops being silent and he says, I wish I was never born. Like it would have been better to have never loved than to have loved and lost. It would have been I, I, I've had and I've lost. I would have rather have never had anything. I wish that I would have died. I wish my mama would have miscarried me. Yes, that, would have, that would have been painful for her, but better for me. Or I was never even conceived in the first place because this is terrible. God, why did you do me the disservice of giving me life and all the blessings that only to have them all taken away and then I'm in such a terrible state? Why didn't you just let me die before I was born? Now I'm going to go back and forth because a dialogue is going to break out. Here comes, the, tra- here comes the, the social media debate train wreck, slowly but surely. I'm going to move the podium back and forth to show you the different parts of the conversation today because it's a lot of back and forth, okay? So Job's friends are over here. So Job's first friend, Eliphaz, is going to speak up. Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, replied to Job. He says, will you be patient and let me say a word? For who could keep from speaking out? This, we're, going to, we're going to take a minute here and set the stage. Eliphaz is like, Job... Can I say something to you? Look, Job, we're your friends. I'm your friend. I mean, we're here. Look at us. We showed up. We've been here for a while. We're in your corner. So I think you've earned a right to say something here. Look, we're for you. We're sorry for what happened. But I think you're saying something a little inappropriate to God. I think you're saying something a little out of pocket here. Job, we love you, but we also love God. we got to defend his honor. So can I just speak up and I, I'm, I'm going to do, I'm going to walk, I'm going to thread this very fine needle of both defending God's honor and trying to help and encourage you because I want to be a good friend. You know, I'm going to speak the truth in love. That's how we say it in Christian world. I'm going to speak the truth in love, brother. You know. And how many times have we done that? Come on now, let's be real. We're going to walk in a situation, we're going to say it just right. We're going to thread the needle. We're going to balance it just perfectly where we say what needs to be said and speak up for what's right, but do it in the most positive way. We're going to speak the truth in love. That's what we, every time we say things, we think we're saying it the right way. We always give ourselves credit because we mean well. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the scripture says, you know. So I'm just helping you out. So, so they come to Job. Job, we're going to just say what you need to hear because you're a little out of line, but we're, we're here. We're, we've, look, we're your friends. But we're going to stick up for God here and correct you a little bit. Can you be patient while we tell you this? He continues. He says, in the past, Job, in the past, you've encouraged many people. He's going to use the sandwich method. You know the sandwich method, right? A little bit of praise for Job, followed by some tough love in the middle, some more praise. Here's the sandwich method. He's like, Job, in the past, you've encouraged many people. You have strengthened those who are weak. Your words have supported those who were falling. You encouraged those with shaky knees. Job, historically, you have been amazing at how you've treated people who were in trouble. You've been a champion of the suffering person. You've been a great guy. But now when trouble strikes, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? Come on, Job, you've been a good man. You're a good person. Don't you see that maybe that's not the way to talk to God in your grief? He says, stop and think. 
This is, this, is, this is the meat. Don't miss this now. We're getting into the weeds now. Stop and think, Job. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. What he's saying in what he feels is the most careful and appropriate of words to thread the needle and balance it out is to say, look, Job, we're here for you. We're a friend. We're just going to speak the truth lovingly. But God is not unjust. God is not wrong. If we're suffering, it's our fault, not his. That's fair. That's fair. I just want to just make sure on the record that God is good, and I just want to, someone's got to stick up for God in this culture, right? Someone's got to stick up for God in this culture, so i got to stick up for God. So God is right, and so therefore, you're complaining to God as if he's giving you a bad deal, but it's not his fault. It's got to be our fault, human's fault, a.k.a. your fault. Let's just give God the right respect. And my experience tells me that. He goes on to, I'm going to skip a lot of verses where he says, God has shown me in a vision how these things work. It's the, it's the typical arrogant thing I hate when I hear people say, God told me something. Oh, God told you something. Well, let's not have a conversation then because God spoke to you. It's just such an arrogant deal breaker sometimes. But anyhow, he goes this, this long diatribe. And then in chapter 5 and verse 27, Eliphaz says to Job, Job, we have studied life and found all of this to be true. So listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. Job, just want to help you, buddy. Speaking some truth to you, buddy. We're here for you. Listen to what I'm saying and apply this to your life and you'll, you'll be okay. What he means to do to help Job see, and he thinks Job's going to be like, oh, thank you. You're right. I needed to hear that. I, I'm glad to have such good friends like you. What he thought would come across that way didn't come across that way to Job. To Job, what Job heard was, you think God is not wrong. Therefore, it's our fault, not God's when we suffer. So therefore, it's my fault. You're saying it's my fault bad things have happened to me. You're saying I deserve this. That's what Job's hearing. That may not be what Eliphaz was directly trying to drive home, but how many times do we say things and drive home something we didn't mean to drive home or think we were driving home, but we were? And that's what Job heard. So Job goes on to his own diatribe. He says, well, God is good all the time, and I know that, and I, I understand the theology but in, in chapter 6 and verse 14, Job says, One should be kind to a fainting friend, but you accuse me without any fear of the Almighty. Guys, I'm beaten down. I'm suffering. I've lost so much. Can't you see what I'm going through? Do you really have to preach to me now? Can't you see? I'm fainting under the pressure of it all. And now you're accusing me without any fear of the Almighty. You are saying that I had what's coming to me? Don't you fear God? To which, I was like, that's not my point, Job. That's the point Job's hearing. That's what Job's taken from this conversation. Is I got what's coming to me. You're accusing me. He says this, Job says in verse 25, honest words can be painful, but what do your criticisms amount to? Look, I appreciate tough love. That's good. We need to, sometimes you gotta speak up. You know, there's a time to speak up, there's a time not to speak up. There's a ditch on both sides of those roads. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a statement here that I think we end up in one side of the ditch more than the other. Job says in verse 26, do you think, this is so good, guys, do you think your words are convincing when you disregard my cry of desperation? He says, guys, do you think your words are convincing me? We ought to remember that. I, I said earlier at the beginning of the sermon that this is like reading a social media fight on TikTok or Facebook or YouTube or something like that, right? And I, I bring that up, and I want to bring up social media because let's be honest, a lot of our interactions today are not just in person, but they're digital. We interact with our spouse, or our children, our parents, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, in person, we also interact with people who are in our orbit of social media. And in this digital day and age, people love to get into these hot button issues and, and make their point. We're always about to make a point. We don't want, we're not making a difference, we want to make a point though. Like, I got, I got, I got something I want to say. And so people will wade in. And eventually some of us sit back and say, well, you know, I wasn't going to say anything right away. I, heard, I saw this this week several times, some of the silliness of the Super Bowl and pol people's politics in, in afterwards. I've been silent for several days while this debate has raged on, but now I've, I, I've got to finally say my piece. Because social media asks me right in the front there, what's on your mind? So I must, <laughs> if it asks me, I must tell you, you know. So, um, so they jump in and say, here's my opinion. I'm going to stake my flag down. And here's the crazy part. We're just yelling into the noise. This is what, I want to make my position clear. Here's the question to ask yourselves. Do you think, Job says, do you think you're convincing anyone? Do you think your words are convincing? I think my words are convincing. To who? To you? To your echo chamber or people who already agree with you? 
Let me ask you a question. To the people who you disagree with, who they state their opinion, bless God, to plant their flag, do they convince you? Or do you just get mad? And Job's like, do you think you guys are coming along when I'm grieving and are convincing me of something by telling me that my view of God is wrong and yours is right? You're not convincing anyone of anything. So Job defends himself. Well, now that Job's friends, the second friend, Bildad, he's upset now. So then Bildad, the Shuhite, he, he's going to reply to Job because he can't believe that Job didn't take his good friend's helpful advice better. Like, Job, Eliphaz, we're here for you, and Eliphaz tried to help you when you were a little bit off, and you get all hot and bothered by it, man. So Bildad's going to say something now. He says, Job, how long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. <laughs> well, that escalated quickly. He says, does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? In other words, God's not bad here, Job. That's what, that's, what, that's what I hear you saying. Now get ready for the next part. It's so cringe. Let's just read it. He says in verse 4, Your children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. Really? Job's dead children must have sinned against him, so their punishment was well-deserved. Right. The, 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 the ground has still got the mounds still settling down from where they buried them, and you're going to sit there and tell them, that, well, you, well, we know your kids, Job. I mean, come on now. Who would... Who would say such a thing? Who would think such a thing? Well, I know who would think such a thing. We do. How many times have all of us looked around people and, and around and when something happened, we're like, well, you know, saw that coming. How many times have we in our hearts thought, well, you know, that's where that, where that, where that path leads. So it's, it's in human nature, but it's wrong. Instead of looking at people and trying to figure out why, when people suffer, we ought to say, oh my, oh my, how can I help you? Oh my, are you okay? Oh my, what do you need? But why do we go in our brains to, well, you know, I don't. Why would you think that? Why do we think that? But why would you say it out loud? He actually says those words to Job. Your children, you know, they just have what's coming to them. Oh, man. I'll tell you why he said it. Because at this point in the conversation, what started off as a difference of worldview a difference of worldview on God's justice and suffering in the world has now turned into a divided issue where they're, they're pushing each other further and further apart with a, a widening aisle. To where now, he's like, Job, you have the wrong view of God. And so therefore, to, to defend God's honor and his justice that you're complaining against, I gotta make it clear that it's not his fault, it's your fault, it's your kid's fault. I'm only doing it to defend God. Because the issue becomes such a big deal, <coughs> doesn't matter how it lands on you. But then he's going to try to turn it around. <clears throat> Verse 5, he says, But, Joe, but, if you pray to God and you seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. Haven't we done the same thing before to people? Hey, I know what happens happened, but hey, if you'll just turn it around from here, if you'll just go forward from here and do the right thing from now on, God will bless you. You can do it. He's going to give him the pep talk now. He says, and though you started with little, you will end with much. Which is, by the way, true for Job in the end. But what a weird talk. How do you think Job handled that? Job 9, verse 1. Then Job spoke again. He says, yes, I know all of this is true in principle. But how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? I mean, if someone were to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For, for God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? Come on, guys. I've lived a good life, and I can't even challenge God, apparently. And, and so neither could you. So before you give me a hard time, none of us can, can hold our heads that high. And Job starts to ignore his friends. He turns his focus to God in prayer, and he says to God, it's kind of rough here. Job's getting upset. Job says to God, yet your real motive, your true intent was to watch me, and if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. If I am guilty, too bad for me. And even if I'm innocent, I can't hold my head high because I am filled with shame and misery. And if I hold my head high, you hunt me like a lion and you display your awesome power against me. Again and again, you witness against me. You pour out your growing anger on me and you bring fresh armies against me. All those words is Job saying, God, I can't win with you. 
If I do something wrong, I get what's coming to me. If I do something right and you still do something wrong, well, I'm not perfect, so I guess I, I have to accept that. And if I complain about it, I'm bad. I can't win either way, God. It just stinks. And so he goes back to his original premise, and Job says in the end, why then did, it, did you deliver me from my mother's womb? Why didn't you let me die at birth? That's where he's at. This thing's going bad right here. I hate it because I don't want to switch it mid-service here, but I'm losing my connection on this thing. Um, so Job is just venting to God. Now Job's third friend needs to speak up, Zophar. Then Zophar the Namathite replied to Job. He says, shouldn't someone answer this, this torrent of words? Is a person proved innocent by just by talking a lot? Should I remain silent while you babble on? When you mock God, shouldn't someone make you ashamed? He's accusing Job of mocking God. Now Job would disagree with that. But again, we're debating an issue here. And in this guy's mind, if you don't see it my way, if you don't see it my way by now, then you must be a mocker. If you don't come around to my way of seeing it now, something's wrong with you, you must be a mocker. Because that's the only explanation if you didn't come to see my worldview. Is you're, just a, you're just a skeptic. You're a terrible person, right? He says to Job, you claim my beliefs are pure and I am clean in the sight of God. If only God could speak. If only, if only he would tell you what he thinks. Because I know what he thinks because me and God, you know, we're on the same page here. So if only he would tell you the secrets of wisdom, for wisdom is, true wisdom is not a simple matter. Listen, he says, God is doubtless punishing you far less than you deserve. <laughs> Whoa. So you mean when I lost all my wealth, my children have died, and my health has deteriorated, I'm getting a good deal and I deserve worse. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Why? Because as we get focused on this issue, I can't possibly... Let God take the hit. My viewpoint of his, his, his justice is so important that I'd rather dump it on you than let it stick to God. So you obviously get, you deserve worse. Well, lovely. How exciting is that? Now, this is what happens, and I want to just take a, a we got a lot more story, to, so let me just take a break here. This is what happens to almost all human interactions when it gets ugly. At some point, what happens to us is that an issue becomes more important than an individual. There's an individual, but to us, our issue is so important that as we stand for it, as we defend it, as we speak up, because someone's got to speak up for the truth, we end up harming an individual. And so he's like, Job, you deserve worse. You deserve worse than you're getting. Then Job spoke again. He said, you people really do know everything, don't you? And when you die, wisdom will die with you. Okay, folks, that's called sarcasm. Job is dripping with sarcasm right now. That's what he's doing, okay? So Job says sarcastically, you guys are the bomb, aren't you? You know it all, don't you? He says, well, I know a few things myself, and you are no better than I am. Who doesn't know these things you've been saying? Do you know what Job just said? This is so big. Job just said, you guys make me feel like you're better than me. Like you think you're better than me. Now they might say, no, that's not our intention, Job. We weren't trying to make you feel that way. But Job says, that's how I feel. I feel that way, thank you. He says, I feel that way. He says, I feel like you think you're better than me. I'm suffering, you're not. You're right, I'm wrong. You're telling me how I need to think better. It sounds like you think you're better. And, and whether they meant to or not, to people, perception is reality, isn't it, to them? And Job's suffering, and Job's upset. So Job says, you think you're better than me. He says, yet my friends laugh at me, for I call on God and expect an answer. I am a just and a blameless man, yet they laugh at me. I am just, I am blameless. He says in chapter 13, verse 3, Job says, as for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. As for you, he says, as for you, you smear me with lies. As physicians, you are worthless quacks. Like, you are lying about me. You're saying that I did something bad to deserve this to make your point. If you're here to heal me, you're lousy doctors. You're a bunch of quacks. That's what Job's saying. He continues and he says to them, um, if only you could be silent. That's the wisest thing you could do. Now, folks, 
Some of us, we would all be better served to take a picture of this one or write it down somewhere. We had to put, we had to put it in a, on a three by five card in our pockets at all times or write it down as a, a screensaver on our phone when we first open up our phone or, or tape it to our desktop. Before we wade into all of our opinions and plant our flag and say our peace and, and fight for our issue with other individuals, we ought to consider Job's words. If only you could be silent. That's the wisest thing you could do. Job says, listen to my charge. Pay attention to my argument. Are you defending God with lies? Do you make dishonest arguments for his sake? Job says, guys, when you're, making your, when you're fighting for your worldview, listen to all of us, let's apply this to our lives. When you're fighting for your worldview, are you willing to be unethical to make your point? In this case, you're lying about me because you're so eager to defend God. Sometimes we do this, we do this in debates, whether it's politics, come on now, whether it's theology, sports, it doesn't matter what it is, but, but culture and lifestyle. When we don't like someone, when someone's on the other side of an issue from us, we're willing to defame them. Because obviously they can't be right if they disagree with us. We, we want to win so bad, we're willing to, to, to put someone down in a, in a dishonest way. It doesn't matter if it's ethical, because here's why. The ends justify the means. And in the end, I'm just trying to win the case for the truth. That is never an excuse to treat someone bad. And yet Job says, that's what you're doing to me. You're wanting to, to honor God by lying about me and winning his reputation? This goes on and on, folks. I'm just going to tell you. We're not going to look at all of it. There's no time. I took too much time changing the microphone out just now. But we're going to look at a little bit more because I want you to see the back and forth. So, so bear with me. Eliphaz, the Temanite, he replied, he says, Job, a wise person wouldn't answer with such empty talk. You're nothing but a windbag. The wise don't engage in empty chatter. What good are such words? Have you no fear of God? Have you no reverence for him? This is the pitfall we all fall into when we start getting divided over an issue. This is the, the pitfall we all fall into. We assume that if you don't see it my way, you must not fear God. This, 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 please don't miss this. We get this way. It could be, be religious. It's any issue that we disagree with people and culture about. If you don't see it my way, it's a heart problem for you. Because you may have initially seen it wrong, but I showed you the truth. And if you haven't come around to my viewpoint, I have the right heart. I'm the right guy. So you must have a heart problem. That's the only answer I could come up with. You must not fear God. You must, not, you must be something wrong with you because you don't see it my way. Do you see how we get there? And, and here's, this is crazy. Eliphaz says to Job, were you the first person ever born? Were you born before the hills were made? Were you listening at God's secret counsel? Do you have a monopoly on wisdom? What do you know that we don't know? What do you understand that we don't understand? What he just said is, is not wrong. In fact, what Eliphaz just said, God himself will say at another time and another place. Eliphaz just said, Job, before you questioned God, he was there at the beginning and you weren't. His ways are higher than your ways. Were you there at the beginning, Job? True. But here's the, here's the counter question. No, I wasn't, Eliphaz. Were you? That's a two-way street, right? Well, Job, God's ways are higher than your ways. Ditto. They're higher than yours, too. Yeah, but, but I'm right. You see, I can play that argument because if you disagree with me and I'm on the side of truth, then you just need to accept that God's ways are higher than your ways, a.k.a. my viewpoint's higher than your ways. Because you weren't there from the beginning. Neither was I, but that's beside the point. And so here's what he says to Job. This is crazy. On our side are aged, gray-haired men much older than your father. Now, Job was older than these friends, but they, they played the age card. They're like, the older people are on our side of the issue. So that trumps your lack of experience or age. <laughs> I hate that argument. I'll tell you why. It's personal. Because when I first became a pastor in this community, this church, but in a different location, I was 25 years old. Kid, I was too young probably for the job, but here I am. I'm a new dad. Michelle's, we're young at this. And, and people, I've learned a long time ago, people like their pastors the way they like their sports or their celebrities or their influencers or their politicians. You, I, I love you as long as you say what I want you to say the way I want you to say, but if I ever disagree with you, ah, you know. So at some point along the way, I found that I'd have a different theological view or a different idea of how to do the church thing than somebody else. And sometimes they would debate by saying, well, you know, it's because you know, you we're, we're right because I'm older. You know, I'm more experienced of life. It's just a dumb argument. Like, as if there are no old fools, you know, in the world. 
And so what I would say to them is this. I'd say, oh, really? So age is the trump card? Yep, okay. Well, I know someone your age and older than you who agrees with my theology on this. So are you wrong? Well, no, that's not what that means. Oh, so that's a convenient argument. You, you play that card when it works for you, and you don't play it when it doesn't work for you. That's like saying, well, the majority of us believe this, so the majority's right. Oh, is the majority always right? Well, here's the majority says something else that you don't agree with. Well, the majority's wrong there. You can't, we, we, we're so humans. We have disintegrated into a lack of civil discourse and humanity because we all want to win our arguments so bad that we use illogical and unfair tactics in justifying our positions. So his guy's like, the old people agree with me, and if they didn't, they're wrong. So Job is tired. So then Job spoke again. He said, I've heard all of this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? Ouch, 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 ouch. He says, I could say the same things if I were in your place. I could spout off criticism. I could shake my head at you. If you were the one suffering and I was not suffering, I could come to you guys the same way you are. I could say, hey, guys, what did you do to deserve that? God is good. You've been bad. But I wouldn't do that to you. He says, no, if it were me, I would encourage you. I would try to take away your grief. Instead, I suffer if I defend myself, and I suffer no less if I refuse to speak. I can't win. And Job says to God in chapter 17, verse 1, he says, my spirit is crushed. My life is nearly snuffed out. The grave is ready to receive me. I am surrounded by mockers. Watch how bitterly they taunt me. He prays this prayer. He says, you must defend my innocence, O God, since no one else will stand up for me. You must defend my innocence, O God, since no one's that. If you don't stick up for me, God, no one will. And so if you don't stick up for me, I'll stick up for myself. Thank you very much. We're going to just go a little further, but I want you to see the progression. Back to Bildad, the short guy. Then Bildad the Shuhite replied, How long before you stop talking? Speak some sense if you want us to answer. Do you think we are mere animals? Do you think we are stupid? Do you see it? Do you see it right there on the screen? Do you see it? Bildad just made himself the victim. You think we're animals? You think we're stupid? Job, you're picking on us. Oh, Job's picking on you. You believe that you're the victim and he's the persecutor. Isn't that how we all are when we get into issues with people and our friend circles or culture around us or whatever it is, no matter what it is, broad or small? Our, in, our, in our marriages, in our families, in our friend circles, in our social media accounts, globally, in our politics, whatever it is, aren't we always the victim and someone else is always the persecutor? You know, let me just say this to us all. We live in a culture where everyone wants to put everything down to the oppressor versus the oppressed dynamic. And the oppressor is always wrong, the oppressed is always right. The problem is all of us are the oppressed in our own minds. It doesn't matter who we are, what our race, what our gender, what our socioeconomic status is, what our politics are, what our theology is or isn't. All of us think we're the oppressed, and other people are oppressing and doing wrong to us or trying to take rights from us or whatever it may be, we all feel oppressed by others. And so how does anyone get, how do we live in a world where everyone's an oppressor but no one's an oppressor? Everyone's oppressed but no one's oppressed. You know, it's just weird, but that's how our logic goes. And so now Job's friends have decided that they're the victims. You know how many times I've seen this in, in, in unlife? You have too, haven't you? We've all seen this. Religious people, perhaps it's religion, maybe it's politics, doesn't matter. Or maybe it's lifestyle or culture. They're making a point to somebody, and they're like, um, they get snarky. They make little snide jabs. They make little arrogant innuendos, and then they think they're, they're, that was a clever one, wasn't it? Their friend's like, oh, yeah, good job, thumbs up, you know? And then they turn around and say, if I'm persecuted for my beliefs, you know, I'm persecuted. Stop being persecuted. You can't bully people and be the victim. You can't pick on people and be the martyr. But everyone feels like the other people are the bullies. Everyone feels like everyone's the oppressor and we're the oppressed. And Job's friends have fully convinced themselves that I'm getting a bad deal, that Job is picking on us. And Job's like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to live my painful, suffering life, and you're giving me a hard time. So Job answers him in chapter 19 and says, how long will you torture me? How long will you try to crush me with your words? You've already insulted me 10 times. You should be ashamed of treating me so badly. Check this out. Even if I have sinned, that is my concern, not yours. Mind blown. Check it out. Even if I have sinned, I'm not, if I'm getting what I deserve because I'm the bad guy, and by the way, I'm not, Job says, but even if you're right and I'm the bad guy and I sinned, 
How is that your concern? Why is it so important to you to set me straight and what's wrong with me? Isn't that culture for you? Isn't that, we, look, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about religious people. As much as, as not just political people, all of us, all of us people. Like, why do people get so angry over someone else's life? It offends me. I just can't, I can't abide it. I must, I must, just like, even if I'm, I've sinned, how is that your business? How is that your concern? That's my problem. Give me a break, guys. He says, you think you're better than I am. You're using my humiliation as evidence of my sin. But, Job says, but it is God who has wronged me capturing me in this net. Job is full on blaming God at this point. He says, it's God who's wrong me now. How did Job get here? Job never said such a thing about God earlier. When Job lost his wealth, he said, praise the Lord. When Job lost his kids, he says, God gave and God took away. When Job lost his health, he didn't sin against God with his lips. But now that his friends have piled on and stolen the last thing he had, which was his dignity, he finally cracks and says, God's wrong in me. Because Job, like us, we care way too much about what other people think. And on the other side, we have to remember that what we say to people, when we steal their dignity away, there's not much left for them to hold on to. When we're making our issue more important than an individual, we put people into a tough corner. If Job's friends had showed up and said, Job, we're so sorry, you didn't deserve this, you're a good man, he'd have been like, oh yeah, you know, I know, but you know, gotta trust God. But when they showed up and they said, Job, I think your attitude's wrong. You deserve what's coming your way. He's like, God's wrong, not me. Because that's what happens when we steal people's dignity to make our point. We make a point, but we don't make a difference. I'm going to skip a few interactions for sake of time. There's so much ground to cover, and I could go all day. I'm debating to skip these next few verses because I skipped them in the last hour, and I think I'm already behind time. But I, I want you to see one last interaction here. So let me do it. And if it makes us out a couple minutes later and your food burns in the oven, don't worry about it. It's okay. Because Doug early said he's going to buy dinner for everybody who, who needs to and pay for it out of his pocket. It's usually Ben, but Ben's kind of broke today. So Doug's got you. See him for some money if, you're, if your food gets bad. Back to Eliphaz one last time. Eliphaz is now rambling on to Job. And, and I, I, before we read his words, I need you to lean in and rewind with me. Remember Eliphaz's first words to Job? What were his first words? His first words were, Job, can I just say something that's tough to hear? Job, can I just step in and, and say this sandwich method? You're a good guy. You've treated people right when they're in trouble. But now you have a little bit of a wrong outlook on God. Eliphaz has gone so far from there. The, the, the worldview they fought over has split them so far apart that Eliphaz is beyond saying those nice things about how Job's been a good man to other people. Now he full on accuses Job of being terrible. Same guy, very different tone. Listen to what Eliphaz says now. In chapter 22, verse 4, he says, Is it because you're so pious that God accuses you and brings judgment against you? No, it's because of your wickedness. There's no limit to your sins. For example, you must have lent money to your friend and demanded clothing as a security. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. You probably think the land belongs to the powerful and only the privileged have a right to it. You must have sent widows away empty-handed and crushed the hopes of orphans. That is why you're surrounded by traps and trouble from sudden fears. Whoa, same guy that just said earlier, Job, you're a good guy, you know, but things are happening, is now saying you're the worst kind of person how you treat people because the issue is more important than the individual. And at this point, Job is so wrong. You know, if you don't see it my way by now, you must just be a terrible person. Everyone who doesn't come to my viewpoint eventually is a terrible person. They're all terrible. If they weren't terrible, they would see it my way. They'd believe like me. They'd have faith like me. They'd vote like me. They'd, they'd cheer like me. They'd live like me. You're terrible, Job. And Job is exasperated. So I'll let you see Job's last conversation here, and we're done. Job, and we're done with the scripture part. Job, is, I want you to please lean into these next few words. Job is just tired. Notice what he says. Job 29.1. He continued speaking. He says, I long for the years gone by. When God took care of me, when he lit up the way before me, and I walked safely through the darkness. When I was in my prime, God's friendship was felt in my home. The Almighty was still with me, and all my children were around me. He's remembering back to better times in the middle of this low and difficult moment. But now Job can't help himself but to defend his dignity against those recent accusations 
by his friends who've decided he's terrible because they don't agree with him about this theological debate. So Job defends himself viciously. Verse 12, he says, For I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope, and they blessed me. I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe. I wore justice like a turban. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. I have been a good guy. I am righteous. I don't deserve this. And again, as I said earlier, God's wrong in how I'm getting it treated. And he says in the end, I thought, surely I will die surrounded by my family after a long, good life. Job has said at the end here, I always thought that God was blessing me and I was doing good and I would die happy someday at my deathbed, my family surrounding me, singing sweet songs. It would be a bittersweet moment. But that just didn't work out for me that way. And he's upset. And in chapter 30, he says, but now I am mocked by people younger than I, by young men whose fathers are not worthy to run with my sheepdogs. <laughs> Ouch. He says, a lot of good they are to me, those worn-out wretches. And then Job continues to carry on in his defense. And when he's done talking, the last thing Job says, he says, the words of Job are ended. <laughs> Is that funny? He's like, I'm I said my piece, period. I'm done talking. And when he's done talking, I want you to see the last verse here. Are you ready? Chapter 32, verse 1 says this. When Job's three friends, Job's three friends refused to reply further to him because he kept insisting on his own innocence. And this brings us to where we are today. In the end, there's silence. That's exactly where they started from, folks, wasn't it? Isn't that where this whole thing started? Job sitting there in silence, grieving, and his friends showing up as good friends, and no one's talking, and they're all sitting in silence. But the, but the difference then was they were all feeling close to each other. Now they're back to sitting in silence, but they're not close anymore. Now they've got their arms crossed and their shoulders turned. The di Here's what I want you to see. We're back to square one. Nothing has changed. Don't miss this now or you'll miss the point. Nothing has changed. No one has changed anyone's mind on an issue. Job has not persuaded them of his, of his goodness and his view of how God's treated him. They've not convinced Job of, 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 of God's holiness and, and glory in this. No one's convinced anyone of anything. Nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed is friendships have been damaged and relationships have been harmed. And everyone is now quiet again with no changing of a mind, but a lot of relational carnage. Isn't that a summary of the world we live in today? We all have a lot of opinions. We all have a lot of views. We like to spout them off. And of course we should because we're sticking up for the truth and we're just doing God's work and we're right. And also we're the oppressed always somehow. And we've got to stick up for things. And so we say our piece and we let it be known and we declare we feel the dopamine hit of, of doing so and getting encouraged by our echo chambers. But in the end, who's changing anyone's mind? All I see is, is people end up in the end not talking to each other, sitting in silence. A great, great gulf, the aisle gets wider. Groups of people refuse to even acknowledge the other with any goodwill. And, and so much animosity spreads because we said our peace and made no difference and left a trail of blood. Isn't that about how it goes today, over and over again? Is there a better way forward? Might it be the better way forward to start with those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers? I don't know. If anyone has, should have a mandate to do better, it should be the ones who saw Jesus just serve and love us, though we were far from perfect. If anyone should do better in culture, it should be us. It's why we said a few years ago our mission statement. By the way, I want to leave you with a statement. I want to give you a, a statement to take home. Write it down, take a picture. We've said it for years. It's not my original. I borrowed it because I love it. We've said it over and over again. Maybe you've not heard us say it yet, but it's so good I want you to remember it today. Are you ready? It goes like this. You are more important than my view. You are more important than my view. Now, I know my views are always right. And by the way, we all think our views are right. If we didn't, they wouldn't be our views, <laughs> right? Everyone believes full-hearted their views are right. We all are convinced. But here's the thing. None of us have a corner on the truth. We're going to see it before it's over. Everyone, we're all a little bit off. I'm not going to get to heaven and find out that one of us had perfectly nailed it. So if we're all a bit off anyhow, 
Why would we make a view that's probably at least somewhat faulty, if not very faulty, more important than the you on the other side of it? I'll tell you why. Because it's right. You gotta stand for something or you'll fall for anything. You know, you gotta plant your flag. I know all the cliches. And again, I said it earlier. There could be a, a road with a ditch on both sides. The ditch of not saying, speaking up when we should and the ditch of saying things we shouldn't say or the way we shouldn't say them. Can I just propose to you, look around culture today. Look around the culture between people and their views and their politics and their, and their religion and the church and the other people who are not in the church. Look around. I would dare to venture that we're in the one ditch more than the other. We've said a lot of things that we thought were helpful but have helped nobody. We've done a lot of stuff that has left nobody better for it. And people aren't talking anymore. People are hurt. And everyone's the oppressed. Everyone's the victim. And no one's getting anywhere. And that's not helpful. And some of us need to look at Jesus and, and, and look at people and say, you are more important than my view. My view it could be wrong anyhow. So why would, I make, why would I die on that hill anyhow? You're more important. I care about you. How do I serve you? It's why our church made a mission statement a few years ago. Or not mission, but our vision, our, 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 our mantra became for Cedar Lake. Not just for Cedar Lake, but for all the towns, for our communities. And here's the point. We said for far too long, the church has been known for what it's against. We want to be known for what we're for. We are for Cedar Lake. We are for people because God is for people. Now, I know how easy it is to defend. Well, we're all against something. We are all against something, for, for better or worse, for right or wrong. But when we start being so dogmatic about making people see it my way, make my issues, make sure my, my issues are heard loud and clear, I've said my piece. Make our point more than making a difference. When we make our issue more important than an individual, we do harm. So I want us to look around at the community, our homes. I want you to look at your marriage partner, your spouse. Look at your parents, look at your children. Look at your neighbors, look at your friends and your coworkers. And before you let relationships get destroyed, arguing for your worldview. Before you get on social media and say your piece because the, the app asked you what's on your mind, so you had to tell it. Let's step back for just a moment and ask ourselves, am I... Making a point or am I making a difference? Am I, am I hurting an individual over my issue? Can I look at people around me who might differ with me on how they live, how they vote, how they think about God, how they practice faith, how they see the issues, but they are more important than all my opinions. You are more important than my view. There's always a you on the other side of your view. And if we can serve those people, if our actions and our words can say to them, you matter more. And it doesn't have to be my way for me to care and for me to serve like God does. There's a path forward. We're going to stop there. Next week, we'll finish the story of Job. Thankfully, we'll get off that dumpster fire of a story. Sorry about that. Had to happen. It was there in the Bible, right? But here's what we're going to end. We're going to end with a spot where if you are going through a difficult time, I believe the story will end in such a way that you'll be able to maybe see a path out of your own struggles and fog. It's not a, it's not a one, two, three checklist, but it's a, it's a, a mindset that gets us out of our difficult spots. It's a great finish with some twists and turns at the very end. Don't miss next week. For today, let's treat people like our views are matter to us, but our views are not more important than all the yous on the other side of them. Otherwise, we're going to end up silent and unhelpful in the end.